Please be seated. I want to do a little storytelling this morning and reach back into the Old Testament into some into a story that I, I don't often hear told. And so uh, we want to discern God's will from what we read there and see what applies to the church today. Would you pray with me as we start? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would lead us in this time. We are so thankful for your presence. You, you can do anything in our lives, and we trust you to change our hearts and to make us more like you. Lord, as we open your word this morning, we ask that you will empower it by your Holy Spirit. Allow us to hear what you intend and to take the lessons from it that we need to learn. We ask that you would lead us and reveal yourself to us and in us. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. Well, when you listen to the news or read things on the internet, do you sometimes have a hard time figuring out what's true? Do you ever have that problem? I, I hear stuff and it sounds really good, but in the back of my mind, it's like, is that really true? You know, is that, who says that that's true? Who's, who's the bottom line authority on that truth? You know, we're living in a society and in a time right now where, where many people believe there is no standard for truth. Can you imagine that? No standard for truth. You know what? I looked in my notes and I looked back in, in, a, in a, some, some writing I had done about 20 years ago and I was talking about this exact same problem. So this is not a new problem for us. This is something that's been around for a long, long time. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden, you know. Uh, did God really say you can't eat that? I mean, really? Look how nice it is. Why would he, why would he not let you do that? So it's been around for a long time. Anything we disagree with today we call fake or fake news, right? If we repeat a lie often enough, doesn't it start sounding like the truth? If we read it on the internet, it must be true. <laughs> and if an important person says it, or a doctor in a white coat says it, then it also must be true, right? The idea of truth, the problem we have right now, the idea of truth just seems to be constantly moving a little bit. It seems to be a moving target. It's changing a lot. But there is a standard for truth. And it never changes. For a Christian, ultimate truth is only found in one place, in God. And he is truth. And he has communicated truth through his son, Jesus, and through the Bible. Today we're going to look at this story that uh, is about losing and then finding truth again. The uh, story takes place in the early days of Jerusalem um, after King David had ruled and after his son Solomon had ruled. Solomon's sons disobeyed God and as a result of their disobedience, the kingdom split into two parts. It was the northern kingdom of Israel with its capital in Samaria and the southern kingdom of Judah with its capital in Jerusalem. And you know, for a, a few generations, Judah had a series of kings who did not serve God and who drifted into idolatry. And idolatry began to spread till there were high places or, 
or, or, or worship places to demons on, on all the tops of the mountains and tops of the hills and all of those places, and it was very, very visible. Well, finally, a boy named Josiah was crowned king. And let me tell you something about Josiah. Josiah is pretty cool. It's, it's kind of cool the kids are in with us this morning, or at least some of them, that, that this child king came to be king when he was only eight years old. His father did not serve, serve God, not at all. In fact, his father was a pretty evil man and did some detestable things. But Josiah came to the throne and even at a young age, he began to follow God. It says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. That means that he was going straight. He was following right after God. And that was at eight years old. By the time he was 16 years old, it says in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. So now he's actively seeking, you know, He's pursuing God. Well, then, as you continue to follow his life, by the age of 20, in his 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of all those places I was talking about, all those worship sites, the sheriff holes, the idols, all of those things that were used for demonic worship. And all traces of the former idolatry in Israel were wiped out. All of them. And that's pretty good for a kid who grew up essentially uh, managing his own spiritual life. His father did not pursue God. So how did he end up with this awesome character? And, and how did he end up in this belief in God when his father wasn't a believer? A colleague of mine just the other day, as we were talking about this passage, he pointed out that you know, while the father wasn't a believer, his grandfather, Manasseh, became a strong believer. Manasseh started out as a very bad king, and towards the end of his life, he came into a real relationship with God and pursued him with his whole heart. And so he came to believe and to follow God. And I think there's a great example here, if you're a grandparent especially, I, I know that there are times that we might despair that our own kids may not be following God. Not in the way that we would like to, but we have an opportunity to be a major influence in our grandchildren's lives. And that's what happened here. That's the example that it seems to be what happened to Josiah. So we're told that in the 18th year of his reign, by the time he was 26 years old, he began to purify the land and purify the temple. And he began to repair the temple. The temple was falling down. I mean, it was in really bad shape. They say in places there were holes in the walls. There were all kinds of things that needed to be repaired. So an interesting thing happened when they were repairing the temple. They, they had had all along, all through this period, uh, they'd still continue to receive taxes and they'd receive tithes and offerings. And, and all of that money was put in a secret hidden place in the, near in the depths of the temple. And so they needed money to do this refurbishment project. And so they started bringing this money out of this vault because uh, they had needed to pay the carpenters and the workers and they needed to buy materials. And uh, while they were bringing out the, mo the, the money to pay for all of this, Hilkiah, who was the high priest at the time, he found something. It says, 
While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan. So here we have it just, oh, by the way, kind of a moment. You know, I'm back in there and I was digging for money and guess what I found? I found the book of the Lord. I found the scrolls. I found them without Indiana Jones's help. I found the lost scrolls. Following me so far, you see where the story is so far? They went looking for the money. They found the scrolls. The high priest then gave them to the secretary of the king. So now the king's secretary has the scrolls. And one day he's in having an audience with the king, and he's reporting on the progress of the temple. And then almost as an afterthought, in another one of those, oh, by the way, kind of moments, he mentions the book. Oh, by the way, king, I have this book here that we found hidden in the vault with all the money. The king had his secretary, Shaphan, read the book to him. And the king began to get more and more excited and agitated as the book was read. It says that when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. Now, a person in those days ripped his robes as part of a ritual of grief. Uh, clothes that were torn as an outward symbol that, symbol that not everything was right with the world. And I'm afraid if we did that tradition today, everybody would be walking around with ripped clothes. But the king recognized that the book was the word of God. And he recognized that, you know, somehow, you know, the, the Lord blesses his word. He empowers the word through the power of the Holy Spirit. The words themselves are not magic. They don't have power in and of themselves, but they are the words of God. And so he empowers them by his Holy Spirit. And it really began to convict the king's heart. And he began to grieve violently. Well, why did he grieve? I think the answer to that has a lot to say to the church today. And, and I'm going to play Paul Harvey a little bit. I'll tell you the rest of the story in a few minutes. But first, I want, to, want you to notice a couple of things about this story so far. First of all, about seeking God and serving him. I want you to first notice that the king was on a spiritual journey already. He was very serious. He was serious about seeking God. He started seeking God when he was eight years old, and he really got focused as he grew into a teenager. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. He was what we might call a God chaser. Some of you may have read that book years ago by Tommy Tenney, but, but that, that expression, God chaser, is a really good description of him. It's somebody who actively pursues God. Tommy Tenney says that a person who's, who's a God chaser is somebody who has great passion for God and for God's presence, and it presses him to chase God and keep chasing God through their whole lives until God catches him. Because we don't catch God. God catches us and takes us into his arms and receives us. Well, this man, this king, he never stopped chasing God, never. And he wanted to know him more and more, and he wanted to live out God's will for his life and for his people. What a contrast to the way his father had lived, 
His own father was an evil man, but that grandfather's influence gave him a hunger for the word of God that he hadn't even seen yet. And that hunger made him try to reverse all the damage his father had done. And that's why he tore down all those idols in the worship places that his father had built. He was trying his best to get the nation back on track. Now, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, God puts a spiritual hunger inside every person he creates. Every one of us. God created us to glorify him or worship him, and so he created us to know him. We were made with the need to know and worship God. It's a spiritual hunger, and if it isn't filled by God, it can drive us to all kinds of dark places and into all kinds of temporary fixes, you know, like our addiction to sports, for example, or our addiction to television, or our addiction to our children's lives, or our addiction to alcohol, or computers, or drugs, or sex, or pornography, or many other things. We can be obsessed about just about anything, can't we? Just about anything can become an idol in our lives if we're not careful. There is no end to what we can obsess about. Or that hunger inside of us can take us in a different direction. It can take us legitimately to that place where we, we really begin to pursue God. We want to fill that place with the one it was meant for. In the case of this story, the case of the king, the person searching is the king, and he's, the, he's in the ultimate position of authority and leadership. He's the political leader. He has a lot of influence, and, and he's really seeking God, and he's doing all the right things, but he hasn't had a lot of actual guidance. He hasn't got specific details on how to really connect with God. Why is that? The word of God had been lost. It had been lost. Somewhere along the way, in the generations that had gone by, the scroll or the scrolls of the law, likely multiple scrolls, had been lost. This is Israel's version of the Bible. Um, at this point in history, it only contained the first five books of the Bible, what we sometimes call the books of Moses or the, the Jewish nation would call the Torah or the law. So many kings in a row had rejected God that they'd kind of taken God's word, kind of put this beautiful display Bible on the coffee table in the back room and forgotten about it. Thankfully, that never happens to us. We're not like them at all, are we? Under the direction of this young king, Josiah, the people of Judah began to really seek God seriously too. But there's only so much you can do without God's word. You know, God's own instructions and revelation of himself guide us to how to follow God more closely. Up until now, uh, Josiah's work in getting rid of the idols and restoring the temple worship had come from a lot of memories of the nation and from rusty traditions. The temple was still operating. Sacrifices were now being made. But nobody remembered why they were doing it. Memory is a very inexact thing, isn't it? 
Tradition has a way of warping our intentions over time so that sometimes uh, things that are done really have nothing to do with the original intention or they just lose their meaning over time. This is especially true when it comes to God's word. And here's an important thing to remember. Without God's word, we really cannot fully do God's will. Memory alone, tradition alone, passing it down through our family generations by itself can only take us so far. But we need God's word in our lives in order to fully do God's will in our lives. You know, we're left with only an idea of God's will or a tradition without God's word that may not lead us to do the right thing or become the right person. Chuck Colson has this great story that he told years ago about an evangelical Protestant church in Europe right after World War II. In this church in Europe, at the front of the sanctuary in the center of the aisle, there was a blank white wall. And, and when this church began to be used again, it started as a Catholic church, but as it was uh, reopened as a Protestant church, and as it was used again, there was still this blank white wall at the front. And each Sunday morning, people who came in would come to the head of the aisle, and they would genuflect, they would, they would kneel, and they would cross themselves, and then they would go and they would sit down. And this went on and on for a long time. And one day, this, this church pastor wondered, why are people doing this? Why are we doing this? But nobody seemed to know what was happening. Well, then a village priest told him that originally in that spot, on that blank wall, there had been a painting of the Virgin Mary. And so people used to come in, and they used to genuflect in the aisle and cross themselves and go and find them their seat. But people were still doing that after the war, after that church was empty, after that space on the wall where that painting used to be had been painted over with white. And nobody really remembered why they were doing what they were doing. They had just picked up the practice of kneeling at the wall because, after all, we've always done it that way. Words you never hear in the church. Here's another truth. I want to share this with you. When we lose touch with the Word of God, tradition and other pursuits can become spiritualized, whether or not they have any spiritual meaning. Tradition doesn't always lead us to God. In fact, it can sometimes lead us away from God if we're not careful. Tradition is a wonderful thing. History is a great thing. I'm a big lover of history. But it can't always take us where we want to go. We need the Word of God to lead the way. You know, today a lot of people believe they can be Christians without ever looking at the Bible. When we say the Word of God, in this case we mean the Bible that contains God's words, right? That's what we're talking about. Uh, you can find God's words written and preserved for you only in one spot. It's only in the Bible. You want to find out about Jesus? You need to go to the Bible. There are some historical sources. We can go to Josephus, who lived at the same time as Jesus, a Jewish writer who had nothing to benefit by writing about the existence of Jesus, but he still writes about Jesus. We can go to those sources and look at them, and we can get an idea of the historical Jesus, but we're not really getting the teachings of Jesus. We're not getting the character of Jesus. We're not really learning about him. So we need the Word of God 
the Bible is really in a very real sense, it's the, it's the owner's manual for Christian life. We need it in order to follow God more closely. Sadly, um, you know, a lot of Christians, I think, only hear the Bible read or taught on a Sunday morning. And uh, if that's all we hear, I hate to tell you, I love to think I'm important in your life, but if that's all you ever hear of the Word of God, then chances are you're not going to grow very much as a Christian. You need to supplement that. You need to be reading, get in the Word of God yourself. Uh, you need to be, you know, maybe you listen to the radio in the car as you're driving. Maybe when you're working in the garden, you're listening to a podcast. You need some things to encourage your faith and strengthen your faith. Um, I use a lot of different methods. Um, to re I read and I study and I learn. I'm in the Bible studying almost every day because of getting ready for Sunday morning and other activities. And so it is very easy for me as a pastor to take it for granted to begin to treat it as a tool for doing a job. And so I need to be fed. I need to find other ways to feed myself. And so I do that. I, I listen to audiobooks while I'm working around the house or driving in the car or working in the garden. I listen to podcasts that, that help build up my spiritual life. Like I listen to sermons from all different kinds of preachers. I listen to shows that help me understand my Bible a little bit better. One of, one of the ones, I don't know if you've come across this, uh, you've probably seen their animated illustrations, but one of, the, one of the ones that I recommend really highly is the Bible Project podcast. Um, they just get in there piece at a time in Scripture, and, and I think I've learned more from listening to that podcast than I learned in half a dozen courses at seminary. These guys are really, really good and know their stuff. And it's stuff like that that helps us to get deeper into the Word of God. They don't replace the actual reading of the Bible. They don't replace actual study. But they supplement it. And they help us to grow. If you don't read the Bible regularly, it can get lost to you. You won't be able to understand it or interpret it as well. And you won't be very good at applying it to your life if you don't spend time in it. If you don't understand the Bible, you probably won't understand what God's trying to say to you personally. Because a lot of times God will speak through his word. And we need people sometimes to help us understand God's word, to come alongside us, to walk with us, to disciple us, to teach us. How, how do we open this thing up, this ancient document, and how do we read it, and how do we apply it to our lives today in a very practical way? King Josiah wanted to follow God, but he hadn't heard God through the Torah because he'd never seen the Torah. He'd never seen the Bible. When he did hear it, he recognized it was God's words, and he grieved because he realized that his people had lost it for a long time, and therefore they weren't living their lives by it. So that's why he grieved. But then the word of God was found. In finding God's truth, in finding the word, God's truth was found. So here we have Shaphan, that secretary of the king. You read the book to King Josiah. And what is this young kid, this young, you know, he's in his 20s. It feels like a kid to me. Sorry about those in their 20s. As we get older, you know. But as he read that book or heard that book, what does he do? 
He decides he needs to consult God. Now, there were still people in the land who talked to God and listened for God. They were prophets. And that's the prophet's main occupation in a sense, that they're listening for God and they are sharing God and God's intentions with the people. So you go to a prophet who listens to God and speaks on behalf of God. And so the king tells him, go and ask the prophet about God. Go ask and find out from God about the truth of what's written in this book. Is this, is this really your word? Is this really the book? Is this the thing? And so they send them to a, a prophet by the name of Huldah. By the way, this is a woman prophet who speaks for God. Uh, and, and she comes back and she says, you know, bad things are on the schedule. Bad things are going to happen because you ignored God's word and haven't done what it said for so long. But then comes the good news. Because Josiah the king, who represented the people to God, because Josiah had pursued God himself and repented on behalf of the people, God spared them all through the lifetime of Josiah the king. And here's what he decided. It says, he went up to the temple of the Lord, took his elders, and went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people from the least to the greatest. So everybody went. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord, the covenant to follow the Lord and keep his commands and statutes and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. You can imagine that. An entire nation gathered at the temple. I don't, I don't know that they could fit them all in. They might have been with the divided kingdom able to get most folks into the, into the general area around the temple. But everybody's gone up and everybody is hearing the word of God for the first time. Generations of people. That must have been quite an event. And all the people in Jerusalem and all from the tribe of Benjamin, all of them pledged themselves to obey the words of the covenant written in the book of the Lord. And the postscript to the story is a great postscript. It says, as long as he lived, talking about Josiah, as long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. So, what about you and I? What about us? Are we centering our lives around the Word of God? Are we learning about Jesus through the Bible? Are we learning how we should follow Him and then obeying Him? Or is the Word of God becoming lost to us? Is it sitting somewhere on a dusty shelf or on the coffee table in the back room? God's Word continues to be powerful and effective. And it needs to be learned and applied. And it should be the first place we go to look when we want to find out what God is saying to us. It's the primary way that he speaks to us. D.L. Moody once said, the Bible was not given to us to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. 
That's true. Can we commit ourselves to reading God's word and obeying it? Can we do that as the people of God? You know, there's essentially three parts to that process. We recognize that maybe we're not where we should be in this. <laughs> you know, we recognize that, that maybe we haven't given the attention we should to God's word and his teachings in the Bible. Second, we, we need to repent of those failings. And the reason we need to repent, and maybe we don't think about it this way, is the neglect of God's word is sin. Anything that departs from what God would have for us is sin, right? And the third thing is to recommit ourselves or commit ourselves to reading it and applying it, to actually using it in our lives. And actually, there's a, a fourth part of this, and that is the, to go beyond the New Year's resolution stage, <laughs> you know, to follow through on your commitment, because it's very easy to make promises, and we do it all the time. And we make promises to God, and then we don't follow through. But we need to follow through on our commitment. It's very easy to pledge and not do it. But there's no point doing that, is there? Not if we're not going to follow through. God requires each of us to read his word regularly and to obey it. And that doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes or commit sin or won't slack off from time to time but that you're committed to getting back on track and living God's will for your life as soon as you get off track, as soon as you can. You know, we don't worship the Bible, right? I hear people say, oh, well, you guys worship the Bible. No, we don't worship the Bible. We worship the one the Bible is about. We worship God. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Seeking out real truth is more important now than at any other time in history, I believe. When so many people have no idea what real truth is, we have to go back to the source. And the source is God, and his revelation is the word of God. I wrote a little covenant for myself. I'm going to put this up. And, and it's, it's, it's for me. But I, I want to invite you this morning to join me in this in this little covenant, in this little promise to God. Uh, if you're interested, if you want to follow God in this way, will you read this out loud together with me? Will you do that? Dear Lord, today I confess my sin of the neglect of your word. I ask your forgiveness for my sin. Today I commit myself to regularly reading your word, the Bible, and applying it to my life. I ask that you help me to do so to the best of my ability. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And if you need help or want to talk about ways that, that you can learn more from your Bible or maybe we want to form a Bible study just, just to get a group of seekers together who are really chasing God, it'll be God chasers. We're really looking to hear from God. Uh, I'm really excited about that kind of an idea. So just come and talk to me, and we'd be very happy to do that, and we'd be very happy to help. Okay. Worship team. <laughs>